Hi, my name is Christine, and I'm your host for the Bytesonal Podcast. Ding! Hello again, everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Usually we see each other on Tuesdays, but yet here we are. It is Wednesday. Um, the reason why the episode is being released today, specifically on January 29th, is because it is Bell Let's Talk Day today. For those of you who don't know what Bell Let's Talk Day is, it's a national campaign to raise awareness about mental health in addition to raising money. According to the website, the four pillars of the campaign include one, fighting stigma against mental health, two, improving access to care, three, supporting research, and four, mental health in the workplace. So it is reported that since the finding or conception of Bell Let's Talk Day in 2010, the campaign has committed over $100 million to mental health in Canada. I presume some of this is due to direct donations from, let's say, individuals or causes and, uh, sorry, other organizations. Um, more famously, I think most of us know the campaign for the whole, we're going to donate five cents for every social media interaction that you use. So for example, Bell Mobility users, if you send a text message, make mobile calls, long distance calls, on Twitter, if you use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk Day, a hashtag, they'll donate five cents to the cause. On Facebook, I believe there's a designated photo frame. And uh, and I believe they have a official video on all the socials. For, so per each view, they will donate money. Um, if you guys are interested, they have great information and resources on the website itself. I don't want to bore you with those details. The website is letstalk.bell.ca. For episode six, I chatted with Rachel Tolkien. She's the communications specialist at CMHA Toronto. CMHA stands for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, they are official partners with Bell Canada, in addition to the Canadian Red Cross, Jack.org, Kids Help Phone, and more. We go into a little bit more details in, th in the episode about what CMHA provides and the role that they play in the community. Rachel is also wonderful and spoke up about how people can actually get involved with Let's uh, Bell Let's Talk Day outside from just social media. And she also uh, was nice enough to share her own experiences about her mental health. A Bell Canada representative actually did also message me back and they were very open to speaking on the podcast. But by the time my email got passed around to this person, the higher up person and so on, uh, things just, we couldn't schedule time before the actual day. So I was thinking um, if they're still willing to speak to me, uh, we can do like a post BLT day so, so they can debrief about the campaign and how successful it was for 2020. Uh, if you guys are interested in that, we can do that. I'll keep you guys posted. Also, just realized that I said BLT, which is bacon, lettuce, tomato. Now we're all hungry. Okay, okay. So without further ado, this is your episode with Rachel Tolkien from CMHA Toronto. And it's recording. Okay, hi, Rachel. Hi. How are you today, Rachel? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, 
I, I know you're a really, really busy lady. So any <laughs> bit of your time is really appreciated. And we'll try, I'll try to keep it fast. So guys, this is Rachel Tolkien. She is the communication specialist from CMHA, which is the Canadian Mental Health Association. And I asked her to be on the podcast and help answer some questions about what resources are available in Toronto as well as kind of a little bit about mental health in Canada currently. So Rachel, as itself, for those who do not know what CMHA is, could you tell me a little bit more about your organization? Yeah, for sure. So CMHA, um, as you mentioned, stands for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Um, we're a nationwide organization. So we have about 330 communities um, that we work in. Um, currently, um, I work at the CMHA Toronto branch. Um, so CMHA was formed in 1918. Um, the Toronto branch specifically was established in 1953. And since then, our branch has grown to operate um, through about 15 sites across the city, and we serve over 10,000 individuals each year. Mm -hmm. And as a community-based mental health agency in Canada, we're very committed to providing services and supports for individuals experiencing mental health issues in the mm -hmm. city of Toronto. And our main goal at our branch is we really want to support the resilience and recovery of individuals experiencing mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And we do this in three ways. Um, we want to help them live in the community in clean, safe, affordable accommodation. We want to help them work in the community and paid employment or volunteer activities. And we want them to belong in the community as engaged, valued, and contributing members. Yeah. Um, because we believe that, you know, a place to live, meaningful work, and a caring community are integral to recovery. Yeah. So that's a little bit about um, us and the work we do. Yeah. Um, what is the difference between you guys and CAMH? And yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know, CAMH is a center for addiction and mental health, like both very uh, prevalent and dominant in the Toronto community. But what's the difference between you two? Yeah, so everyone always gets us confused because we have the same letters. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But the main difference, so CAMH, as you said, stands for Center for Addiction and Mental Health. They are specifically Toronto-based, um, and they provide clinical care. Um, and they're more of a teaching hospital, and they focus a lot on mental health research. Mm -hmm. Whereas CMHA, um, again, we're nationwide. Our presence is in 330 communities across Canada. Yeah. And, but the main difference is that we provide community-based programs and services. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually go into the community and we help people um, in their homes. They can come to our offices. Um, so the services we offer are a little more of a community-based approach versus a clinical approach. Yeah. And in terms of, because uh, I, I looked you guys up uh, while well before mm -hmm. the interview, and it seems a very, very diverse uh, selection of programs that people can uh, not only apply to, but just kind of join and kind of, a, is it a walk-in basis some, a lot of services are? 
Um, not a lot of them. Some of them are like, for example, we have um, two mm -hmm. social resource centers, um, one in North York and one in Scarborough. Mm -hmm. um, and it's basically a place where um, individuals who are struggling with their mental health issues um, can go and they can connect with others and socialize in a safe and inclusive space. Mm -hmm. And they have a variety of recovery focused programs, um, you know, such as mindfulness, yoga, mm -hmm. arts and crafts and stuff like yeah. that. So those um, centers, um, Roots and Pathways are um, an example of like a drop-in, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of our other services you do have to apply for. Yeah. And, and this kind of goes into like more, I guess, demographics questions, but mm -hmm. based on what you see in Toronto, I, I assume it does vary a little bit depending on what what location you're at and what city or province you're in. But mm -hmm. is there like um, a specific demographic that you see coming into the clinics and into the services at all in terms of socioeconomic status, certain ethnic groups, people in need? Like like yeah, de definitely. So um, at least for the people, like on a broad spectrum, usually people ages 14 to 24 are more likely to experience mental illness. Yeah. But specifically the people we serve, a lot of people um, were either homeless or precariously housed. Yeah. Um, and they also have mental health issues. So a lot of our programs do focus on housing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a very wide population that we serve. So I would definitely say that kind of group, um, we do serve a lot. Yeah. And I guess, like you mentioned, like taking the homeless community as a, uh, I guess, an example here, mm -hmm. uh, there's obvious barriers to care. Um, yes. But kind of on a more general, general standpoint, are there specific barriers that prevent people from seeking out mental health care? Because like, for example, it's like with myself and like what I've heard and my peers, a lot of it's like uh, financial things. A lot of it could be stigma about people. Yeah. Don't don't necessarily take that first step to go seek help. And a lot of times I think it's also down to like the lack of awareness of what services are available. So exactly. can you speak a little bit about kind of barriers between getting care? Sure. So my biggest one is actually lack of awareness. And the reasoning yeah. behind that is because I do believe that the stigma around mental illness has always been, you know, if you're suffering from mental illness, you need medication, you need a therapist, you need psychiatry. Yeah. And it's a very stigmatizing um, way to look at things. And people, because it's stigmatized that way, people aren't aware of you know, programs and services like community-based services. Yeah. Um, and I believe that's a whole other section in mental health care that is so beneficial to someone's recovery. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yes, as much as medication and psychiatry can definitely help somebody, there's a lot of other supports. Like, for example, you know, we offer an employment program where people mm -hmm. um, can work on their resumes and help find a job because, you know, mm -hmm when you're not in a good state, it's very hard to have the energy to go look for a job on your own. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a lack of awareness that there's services out there. Mm -hmm. I think it's lack of awareness of what kinds of services out there mm -hmm. are out there other than, you know, going to see a therapist and getting medication because especially to see, um, you know, someone privately, mm -hmm. um, as much as you can most likely get in right away, um, there's a very high cost to it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, to get in somewhere free, there's usually a long wait period. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with mental illness, you know, it can't be a waiting game. It is exactly like physical illness. You know, it attacks yeah. your body and 
you know, emotions can get very heightened and you don't want it to get worse than it already is you know, most likely is. So for people to then have to know that they're going to be on a waiting list, like it's more challenging. So I would definitely say the lack of awareness, um, finances and wait lists are also just a huge barrier. Yeah. And I I really like what you guys are doing because you're, it's, it's, it's almost like a support system. Like you're not only supporting them mentally, but you're supporting them with various big important aspects of their lives, like big concerns, like housing and employment. Like you said, um, it kind of coincides with um, if they're struggling mentally or not too. Right. So exactly. that's, That's, that's really, really awesome to hear. Um, do you guys have like smaller clinics in cities? Cause I, I think you guys have a location in Mississauga where I am, or I could be mistaken. So we, um, CMHA Toronto specifically doesn't have a location there, but there may be another, there's, there's 30 branches within Ontario right. and like with, well, also within each branch, like there may be different locations. So for example, even though CMHA Toronto is one branch, we have Mm -hmm. 15 different sites. So Mm -hmm. we don't have one in Mississauga or Milton, but Mm -hmm. there may be another branch there who does have um, a clinic or um, an office. Um, But but the great thing about CMHA is that you don't have to go far to find a location. Yeah. Yeah, it seems quite numerous. Like you said, um, you said 300, over 300 locations. Three, yeah, 330. We work in 330 communities across Canada. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I reached out to you, Rachel, uh, more specifically is because this episode is going to be kind of a little bit centric to uh, Bell's Let's Talk Day. Yep. Um, for those of you who don't know, Bell's Let's Talk Day, uh, I think I remember growing up as a teenager, I was like, oh, it's that day where you send a, <laughs> send a, bus, a bunch of text messages and you're raising awareness and money for this great cause. Um, growing up, I just thought it's just like, okay, it's going to mental health things, but uh, kind of, I did a bit more of a deep dive into what Bell's actually doing and it seems to be really, really good. So mm-hmm. uh, are you guys partnered with Bell, I believe? Um, so CMHA National was featured mm-hmm. yeah. um, in, Bella, in Bella's Talk campaign yeah. this year. Um, our branch specifically isn't, but we yeah. do obviously still promote the day. Of course, exactly. And, it, it's, and it's a big day. And uh, I'm from the chiropractic college uh, a little bit north, closer in North York, the Canadian okay. Memorial Chiropractic College. And every year we do like a mental health awareness week, as well as like um, kind of a more focused event for Bell's Let's Talk Day. Um, so I guess the question that I have for you is, it's kind of obvious that it is very important to keep, to keep the conversation going and to make people feel safe that they can talk about certain things, not just on that day, obviously, but in general. What can kind of people do? Um, yeah. To, yeah, to support Bell's Let's Talk Day or kind of support the conversation itself. Yeah, so a lot of people, I'm sure most people may know this, but um, on when you're active on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, there's certain ways you can contribute to Bell Let's Talk Day. Um, for example, on Twitter, every time you use the hashtag Bell Let's Talk Day, um, Bell will donate five cents toward mental health initiatives. Mm-hmm. But it kind of does go beyond that because there's a few things like everyone can learn on this day. So the first thing um, is that, you know, language matters. Mm-hmm. You know, the words that we use can make a huge difference. So for example, saying that a person is crazy can be very harmful. 
but changing that language to, oh, that person is living with a mental illness, it's a lot less stigmatizing. So I would definitely say people can learn um, about the language that's used in the mental health world. Um, so we aren't discouraging people or still creating that stigma. Yeah. Um, the second thing people can do is they can educate themselves. You know, there's a lot of facts out there, and there, but there's also a lot of myths about mental yeah. illness. Yeah. And educating yourself is a great way to help end the stigma because you can learn a lot, a lot about what's, you know, true and fake. And mm-hmm. um, Bell actually on their website, they have a great resource to kind of um, go through the facts and myths. So people can definitely check it out there. Um, The third thing people can do is, which I do think is a big one, is they can listen and ask. And by, by that, I mean, you know, being a good listener and asking how you can help and being there to support someone who is dealing with mental health issues, mm-hmm. it really will help them in their recovery because having a support system is absolutely vital. Um, but when people use expressions like, oh, you'll get over it or mm-hmm. oh, just relax, it's fine, yeah. it can really minimize how a person is feeling and um, you know, it discourages them from wanting to go get help. So yeah. I would say in, just to make sure that you're aware that it's very important to acknowledge someone's feelings and ask what you can do to help. Yeah. And the fourth thing you can do is, which is the biggest one for me, is you can just be kind. Mm-hmm. Simple acts of kindness can make a huge difference. You know, whether you smile at someone or you invite them to go for coffee just to have a chat, simple yeah. acts of kindness can help open up the conversation yeah. and let someone know that you're there for them. And lastly, talk about it. You know, mental illness touches us either directly or indirectly. Um, and we, we all must know somebody or heard of someone who is dealing with a mental health issue. So sharing our stories and experiences, whether you're affected directly or not, it really can help others open up and feel safe asking for help. So those are definitely a few things people can do um, on Bell Let's Talk. Uh, A lot of it's just the first step asking, hey, uh, how are you actually doing? Yeah. Are you okay? And exactly. do you want to talk about it? It's like those three essential things. And I, I, again, uh, it, I don't want people to think like, oh, just because it's bells, let's let's talk day. Like I can only talk about my problems on that day. Mm-hmm. It's a continual thing. And uh, I, like you said, like be kind, check up on your friends, kind of notice if they're acting kind of strange or if, they, if you feel like they want to tell you something. I kind of that awareness and being cognizant is important. So um, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Let's see. So a quick, a quick um, story on your end. I, like I said, Mm. before we started, like, I assume there is a reason why you're working for uh, CMHA. So is there a personal mental health story you want to share on your end and how you dealt with it, how you overcame it, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. So I personally struggled with mental health issues growing up. Um, It started in high school. um, So I was about 15, 16 at the time. And I suffered with depression and anxiety. Um, And it took a good six years. I don't want to say to overcome it, but to kind of, you know, be able to get out of bed as, you know, bad as that is. I felt that in high school, I would go to school, I'd come home and I would sleep for the day, or I would also skip school and sleep for the day. And, um, I, it kind of got to one point where I just felt like I was sleeping all the time. 
Um, and my parents were great and they were able to get me a therapist. But at that time mm-hmm. I was still pretty young and that specific therapist didn't help me. Yeah. And then I got a little frustrated um, and I stopped seeking help. And eventually I just took it on my own. I just was tired of feeling this way. And I found my own therapist and we clicked. Um, And obviously with the right medication and the right support, um, that really helped kind of, you know, I don't want to say neutralize everything, but, you know, I wasn't depressed anymore, but I wouldn't say I was happy. Um, And I always just knew I wanted to work in mental health um, and help other people like me. But Mm -hmm. when I got this job, I learned so much more that, you know, recovery is an ongoing process. You're never going to be cured from a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's like people who have cancer, you know, even if they're in remission, they're still going for monthly checkups and they still have to keep physically healthy. So even if you're um, in your recovery process, you may be at the better end of it, but you're still in recovery and you always will be. And that's something I've definitely learned. And I've also learned that, you know, I went in thinking I want to help people who are in similar positions to me, but after working here, I realized, you know, the need in um, how housing affects mental health and there's such a need there. Um, So that's personally why I got into it. And um, in terms of communication, I love advocacy. And Mm -hmm. I think with, I think we've made, especially with like initiatives like Bell Let's Talk Day, you know, we've made big strides in destigmatizing mental health, but there is still a lot of work to do. And I do think the biggest thing right now is people sharing their stories. Um, I think A, it takes a lot of courage, but the thing that I've realized is that I actually do think it helps people in their recovery process because they become very authentic. And, you know, I've met a lot of people who are similar to me, like, you know, if I wasn't feeling good one night, I would make a lie up to my friends. If I was supposed to go out, I'd say, oh, I have family coming in out of town, or Mm -hmm. I have a dinner I have to go to, or Mm -hmm. I would literally say like, I have a cold. Um, And at one point I was just like, why am I making up these lies? Like, what am I hiding? So now, I mean, I have a great support system, but if I'm having a bad night, I just say, hey, like, I'm not feeling great tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to come out. So I do think that just talking and being authentic Mm -hmm. um, and not hiding behind your mental illness is something that we all have to do um, Mm -hmm. to really normalize it. So that, yeah, that's why I went into uh, working in mental health. The last point that you mentioned really resonated with me about being authentic about it. And I think, you know, it it does take a specific level of um, being brave and courageous to openly talk about something that, you know, it could be perceived as not, let's not say a weakness, but it's something that's inherently wrong with you. Yeah. Uh, but not that it is, sorry, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's opening up about something that's um, not per- normal per se. Exactly. And um, I fully agree with what you said about being like, wh- why, why lie about it? I think in 2020 now, wow. I know. <laughs> 2020, we're at a point where I think generally among the public, it's, it's, widely accepted that mental health is as important as physical health is well initially what i struggled with was trying to be normal all the time yeah and literally 70 percent of my energy was just hiding things or pretending like i was like okay or trying to put on a strong front so i think it's a lot easier in a lot of people if you mention like hey if you're having a bad day you're allowed to have a bad day 
and mm-hmm. it's okay. That's the, that's the biggest thing really. Exactly. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, one of my biggest pieces of advice is, is to say that, you know, if you don't have people in your corner supporting mm-hmm. you or they, you know, don't believe in your issues and whatnot, surround yourself with the people who do, because I really do believe when you're struggling with your mental health, um, a support system is vital and it's everything, especially when you're first starting to seek help. Because at the end of the day, you know, when, if you had diabetes, the people around you also have to learn how to give you your insulin. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just a one-way process of the help is only for you. The help is for your caregivers. It's for your friends on knowing what to say around you, how to act, what to do, because it's, it's, it affects all of them too. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, when they go look for services, they're just looking for themselves. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it also does affect the people around you. And, you know, one of the programs we have, which I think is one of the best programs, Mm -hmm. um, it's called Family Outreach and Response. And basically the program is for people who have a loved one that is struggling. So for example, if I'm struggling, the service would be for my parents um, and the services help them, you know, because at the end of the day, it is, although if we're being completely honest, it is a struggle for your caregivers to under stand what's mm-hmm. going on when they haven't been through it. Yeah. Um, so I also tell people about this service because I do think since the support system is so vital, mm-hmm. I do think that it is important for the people around you to be educated and have all the information so they know what to do. Yeah, because one of one of my friends in high school, she really, really struggled with depression. And at the mm-hmm. time, like again, Asian Asian parents, they're immigrants. They didn't really fully understand the idea of mental health. Um, yeah. I think in Asian cultures, a lot of times, like those, you know, things like not being able to get up in the morning, that's kind of more attributed to being like a character trait of being, a, let's say, lazy or something like that. But when yeah. when it comes down, probably for her, like a brain chemistry problem, right, or something more complex than that. But um, yeah, like. I guess family family therapy. That I think that's a really good service too. Yeah, it's fantastic. Especially, especially if you if you're living with a partner, if you're living with your you know family still, if you're young, then that's that's really relevant, right? Exactly, exactly. So yeah, the whole program is on how to best support the person who's struggling. So I think it's yeah. it's a fantastic program. Yeah. Um, in terms of programs, I guess my, I'm 20, I'm 24 mm-hmm. and a lot of the listeners are around my age, if not a little bit younger, um, mm-hmm. are there any services or programs that are a little bit more geared towards young adults like myself at all? Um, so uh, for us, some of the programs are age specific, but most of them aren't. Um, most of our programs though do start at age 16. Yeah. Um, so if anyone who's listening is younger than 16, there are also mm-hmm. a ton of other mental health organizations yeah. that, um, focus on youth. Um, but we do have something, um, we have like Um, we do have youth groups specifically, but it's hard to kind of give all the information because there's certain criteria for each program. Um, but again, it's not age specific, but, um, you are more than welcome to Mm -hmm. go on our website and Mm -hmm. all the information and referral process and the criteria is all there. Yeah. I'll definitely put a link. I'll I'll put a link in the description box as well for the episode. So yeah, the website, your, all your socials and everything. So if anybody's looking to reach out, they can definitely do that. Fantastic. Um, Yeah. Like again, very informative. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and My pleasure. Th- this is a question I ask like everybody before they leave, but like, do okay. you have a specific vision for the world, Rachel, in terms of the future? 
Um, I would say that my vision is just that everyone is kind to one another. Um, I do believe that whether you're dealing with physical health issues, mental health issues, someone out there, sorry, not someone, everyone out there has their (laughs) own struggle. Um, And, you know, things are a bigger deal for different people. For example, you know, me graduating university could be like winning an Olympic gold medal, um, whereas somebody else graduating university can just be, you know, everyone does this, whatever. So I would definitely say I hope nobody, I think my vision for the future would also be that no one disregards somebody's feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. Some things are bigger than others for other people. And Mm -hmm. I think we all just have to be kind and support each other, um, no matter what we're dealing with. And one thing that our agency really promotes is, you know, one in five Canadians in any given year will have a mental illness, mm-hmm. but five in five Canadians have mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think it's making that difference, you know, that we need to take care of our mental health as much as we do our physical health. And you don't have to have a mental illness to yeah. take care of your mental health. Like yeah. I am physically a healthy person, but I work out, I eat healthy, I drink plenty of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes people think like, you know, to do mindfulness and yoga and all that kind of stuff, um, or even go and see somebody is only if you have a mental health issue, but we all have mental health that we need to celebrate and protect. So um, Mm -hmm. I guess my second vision for everybody would be (laughs) that to not disregard that, um, like don't disregard your mental health. It's it's vital. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. just to kind of summarize what you said, like um, mental health looks different in everybody and there's no like bottom line or threshold where you got to be, um, you know, sick enough or broken enough to go seek help. I think that's the, exactly. No matter how you are not functional. Exactly. You nailed that. Good good two visions, Rachel. Yeah. I think you're in a pivotal spot where you are at the organization. Thank you. That's really, really good. Thanks. Um, And thanks for doing this podcast. I mean, more people need to do this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So it's great um, what you're doing. Yeah. And again, my my only intention is to keep the conversation going. And you're doing a good job. Uh, getting an expert <laughs> on the podcast. It just yes. makes it a and again yes. most most important being is like what can you do? Like you're aware of it, but what can you do? So guys, this is Miss Rachel from CMHA. Um, I'll give you guys a quick link in the description box if you want to see the website and what they have on file on deck at their services. Um, and thank you so much for your time, Rachel. Thank of you. course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I wish you have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. You as well. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Rachel and learned a little bit more about the significance behind Bell Let's Talk Day. Honestly, from how I see it, yes, funding is important to drive research, to build things, to create things, but I think the biggest value of Bell Let's Talk Day itself is how it creates the space to talk about mental health. I've noticed let's see, 2010, I was in grade 10. Now I'm in third year chiropractic school. It's been a decade since. And being in healthcare, I do see the big shift. Um, There's a lot more emphasis 
around mental health, how it does play a role in physical health. Like for example, we learn now that chronic low back pain, yes, a part of it is mechanical, a part of it is physiology, but it's also very comorbid with things like anxiety and depression. So my vision for the world one day is yes, we're gonna have equal emphasis, resources and treatment for both physical and mental health. So recently I put out an Instagram post about how I went to a psychiatrist, got diagnosed with psychothymia and borderline personality disorder. Surprise, surprise. Um, and I'm, I'm not gonna lie, it, I, I think it was pretty difficult for me to put that out into the universe. Like, I don't know if I have internalized stigma still, but like, I don't know. I just felt like by doing that, you're in a vulnerable position. One, for being judged. Two, people knowing you're somehow quote-unquote broken. And three, by talking about it, you're forced to accept that it's happening. And three is what I really struggle with. But like they say, if you struggle with something, practice it and do it, right? So the, the, the feedback from you guys seemed to be very positive. I had some people DM me directly. So if you guys want, I can do a separate episode about it. I think it's important to start conversations in case, you know, one of you guys out there and the airwaves need to hear it. There have been times in my life when one person said or did the right thing and a mark was made on me. Whether I was receptive to it or not, it eventually clicks in and I look back at the moment and I'm like, hmm, yeah, I appreciated hearing that at the time. So before I let you go, here's a quote I want you to ponder. This is a quote from Russell Wilson, an NFL player, and he's speaking about domestic violence. So the quote goes, I can't fix the world. I can't fix the NFL. I can't change the guys around me. The only person I can change is the one in the mirror. I'm not a perfect person by any means. I'm just a recovering bully. If we start being honest about our pain, our anger, and our shortcomings instead of pretending that they don't exist, then maybe we'll leave the world a better place than we found it. Have a great day, guys.